the breakout, gold's going to make a new all-time highs. Gold-backed ETFs in inflows of over $5 billion. $0.8 trillion gold market. Why are we the only guys to see on this Makes your head spin. Welcome to Live from the Vault. My name is Shane Moran, and I'll be your host for this episode. I am fired up and excited. As you can imagine, the Kinesis community globally is growing very, very fast, and we appreciate all of you. Uh, please keep spreading the word about this channel, and how do you do that? You can like the show, you can uh, share it, forward it, or you can even, better yet, subscribe. Hit that bell notification if you want to be notified as these episodes go live we're going over to the uk and andrew mcguire is standing by now look andy there's a lot of questions coming in following the last episode that you had indicated that by friday the bis opex expiry at the end of may would present an opportunity so let's start off right there it's awesome to have you here andy and can we start off with the short-term action and uh, what do you see for June as we move forward? Hey Shane, <laughs> great to be with you again, my friend. And yes, my friend, the footprints around last Friday's uh, BIS OPEX expiry. Uh, you remember we drew attention to that in our last episode and I kind of ran to plan. <laughs> and the reason uh, we picked this price discount event as the next stepping stone was that if you recall that the unusual option structure that we noted leading into it had captured a hell of a lot of wrong-footed insider bets and that's what we drew attention to so and a lot of these if you remember a lot of these are placed we went through this i mean months ago and in some cases a year ago and and you know funds and 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 uh, and banks and traders can make money sometimes by picking a level they think the price will not go beyond uh, or below and they'll sell that position, take the credit, put it in their bank account and hope to hell that those positions um, close outside the money, i.e. they keep all the premium. Now, as they start to move into the money, we've talked about delta hedging. What that forces them to do is the more it gets closer to the money, say, for example, you've sold 1900 um, and you didn't want it to go above 1900. What you would do as the closer it got to 1900, the more you would have to buy futures to offset that position. So just to explain, that's what we'd seen. And we kind of thought, that, so what stood out to us was that these bets were, when you weighed it up against the, uh, uh, the, the whole strength in the wholesale market, which was completely unfactored at the time these bets were made probably. Uh, and, and then also evaporating paper market liquidity, it really did telegraph. Um, that a higher stair step buying signal uh, was coming for this BIS dip. And, and I guess what I was trying to say was not to be spooked by these caffing efforts at 1900. That's what we said last time. But to give an idea of scale and why the BIS is always a heavy event for gold is that when accounting for gold market derivatives, I mean, they're benchmarked, as we know, at this last spot market fix of the month. And at best estimate, the BIS has to mark to market close to a trillion dollars of gold in, in derivative exposure. So obviously, a buck either side of that is a big deal. So as we outlined, inevitably, we see the gold price sold into this event. Now, the BIS structure always closely mirrors 
the the COMEX option structure, which is actually evidence. So you can look at it and have a and really discern where those positions are because they have to interrelate. Uh, because the COMEX is obviously the hedging arm of the over-the-counter market. So really, we just said, look, this is going to present a, a, a really a, an, a, an opportunity, or really more, um, it's going to get defended. We said we this, op, this, this level will get defended, but don't be psyched out by it. And it would be defended at all costs. That's, that's the scale. We're talking about, you know, probably a trillion derivatives or close to that. So, um, so this, so what we said was, um, the, if the price, uh, the prices would very likely close below that level. That's what we said. Well, in fact, really, when we look at it, uh, the actual price that the BIS marked the, the over-the-counter positions to market was, 1899.95, one tick below the actual um, price, uh, the 1900 tick. So it expired out of the money. But this consolidation action, really, when you think about it, into a strong physical market, what that's done is essentially provide another, this step we're talking about. It's 130 bucks higher than the May BIS dip which was squared at market uh, at 1767.65, it was. So really 130 bucks higher. So, you know, so obviously we've said a buck here and a buck there is significant. But when these capping efforts are pitched against a strong physical market, um, these, these synthetic official price management actions end up coiling bullion in tight supply for another leg up. Now, and so really, this is what we outlined in our last episode. And, while the very short term, um, we never really count out the BIS. Of course we don't. I mean, they've been in, in the business for 50 years suppressing the price of gold. Um, but there are a myriad, myriad of industry uh, changing inputs that tell us that the house insiders are now buying algo generated dips below 1900. Dips, these dips, though when they come, they won't last long. Now look, we're recording this episode on Wednesday, and we still have the obligatory non-farm payrolls event, which is, an, I mean, there's always algo-driven volatility into the Friday uh, non-farm payrolls, uh, payrolls event. But given the strength of the physical markets is being driven by competing central bank buying, we see dips into the high 1800s, just below 1900 really, as shallow, and actually actionable. In fact, I would be really suspicious of any large moves in either direction as suspect or retraceable. So that's pretty much what we see. And in fact, for what it's worth, I mean, with the Fed's hands tied, I ultimately see non-farm payrolls as a non-event. Yeah, obviously, it's going to be short-term volatility, but we know a lot of desks are waiting for any game to market dips. Now, Andrew, as far as I know, you were the first to draw public attention to the bullish implications of Basel III. And just before we hit record, you had mentioned uh, that there was some visible evidence of the bullish effects of Basel III. Can you kind of give us an update on what you're seeing? Because it seems that everyone now is talking about Basel III. Maybe you can update us here. <laughs> yes, mate. <laughs> Especially as Basel III is still the most mainstream media ignored elephant in the room. Um, but as I was just telling you, 
before we started recording, late last week, everyone in the industry woke up when it was revealed that competitive buying, most likely forced by China and Russia, had forced the BIS to themselves ramp up physical gold purchases. Now, Shane, I promise to dig into that in more, in more detail in a second, but it's really important to underscore the strength in the physical markets, evidencing refiners sold out for immediate delivery and notwithstanding higher prices into declining COMEX open interest. And you know what that means. If you've got the price rising and open interest is contracting, what does that tell you what the insiders are doing? They're covering. And whereas obviously you've got the hot money going along. And, and it is this immediate effect that is forcing insiders nursing losses to competitively buy dips, which, as we assessed in the last episode, suggested that the 1900 strike for gold could not just be blown out of the water after BIS OPEX was squared, but could become institutional support. Now, so while on the subject of BIS, though, let's update our extremely important Basel III thread. While we've been covering Basel III for close to a year now, I'd say, it was excellent that our friend Alistair McLeod did a more granular dive into Basel III regulations over the last couple of weeks, also concluding this is an industry game changer. And both Gatter and Zero Hedge covered his articles. And if you remember, Alistair joined us for an episode ooh, a couple of months ago. But this is where we get to the juicy bit, guys. <laughs> Last week, another piece of the revelation jigsaw was, was revealed to us. In fact, it was the first public uh, affirmation of bullish Basel III gold traction. Now, reluctantly, the BIS has revealed a glimpse of their hand. And this also relates to the information we've been recently covering regarding, if you remember, China and Russia sending a shot across the BIS bows. As we move closer to Basel III deadlines, officials are going to find it increasingly difficult to hide their physical gold accumulations and related short covering of unallocated gold contracts. Now, this activity spilled into the mainstream media reports last week, and it was actually on Bloomberg acknowledging previously denied reports that Western central banks are joining in in adding physical reserves. And that can be find out, found, found on the Bloomberg site. Now, these reports were all over every desk last Friday at the latest. And, we, and this is ahead of BIS expiring. And, and uh, so basically, uh, this was ahead of the Monday market open holiday. And that spooked shorts. There's no doubt that spooked shorts and evidence dip buying into BIS OPEX. So although these physical gold accumulations will not be commented on clearly by the BIS, their footprints are becoming harder to hide. So this is what uh, was within this Bloomberg article. It says, these premiums, quote, these premiums are at least in part being driven by buying from the Bank of International Settlements, which regularly trades the metal on behalf of the world's central banks. A person with direct knowledge said, asking not to be identified because the information isn't public. Okay, well, that's as much as you're going to get, but it's accurate as far as we can make out. So, and Bloomberg certainly wouldn't be reporting. This is the first, first instance that Bloomberg has said anything positive about gold. 
uh, in in well certainly since uh, since DIS uh, came into the crosshairs with Basel III. So while it's understood why Basel III banking regulations were drawn up following the 2008 uh, financial crisis, and that was bottom line to eliminate massive derivative-driven uh, interbank uh, counterparty risk, we also know that it is the trillions of dollars of unallocated gold positions that pose the very largest uh, threat interbank counterparty risk to the too-big-to-fail taxpayer-insured banks. And really, Basel III seeks partly to unwind this risk. Now, this was before competition started to actually ramp up their activities. Now, originally, these standards were said, really, they were supposed to be in place at the end of 2020. Uh, however, the deadline was extended for, for every jurisdiction except the UK to comply by June 28th, which is coming up now. And what I find interesting, though, is shining the public light on these risks has incentivized in really otherwise would have been sideline money to come in, forcing competition in the physical market, which in turn speeds the process up. So, in fact, while the slow unwind process was already underway back in 2019, the first stage looks to have been a PSYOPs operation, seeking to trick out longs to cover swaps and leases, which backfired on the BIS in March 2020, when their agent banks, privileged to have gold accounts with the Bank of England, over-leveraged their selling efforts, breaking the EFP conduit. Now, we covered this in detail a year ago. In fact, if you go back to gosh, the March, April, May episodes of Life from the Vault, we covered it in absolute granular detail. Now, Andrew, speaking of EFPs, isn't this when you managed to get the market manipulation question in the UK Parliament? Like, wasn't that around July of 2019? Yeah, Shane, I really don't think it's a coincidence that the process of unwinding unallocated gold contracts kicked up a notch shortly after my on-record July 2019 meeting with now Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey. Now, we also covered this in detail in July and August of 2019, but these official meetings with Andrew Bailey followed a successful reading in the UK Parliament on the 8th of July, posing my market manipulation question to the House of Commons and bailout warnings related to the UK arm of the too big to fail taxpayer insured banks. And in fact, you can find that um, on, uh, it's on Hansard Parliament UK, uh, and it's dated the 8th of July, 2019. So the full spectrum, um, uh, basically it had that full, full reading there, and it's, it, it goes through the answers, which in many cases were so incorrect that we, um, that we actually called a meeting with Andrew Bailey and warned him that they, uh, that for example, they said that the servers, uh, the, these issues relate to the US, but they hadn't realized that the servers in this country are talking to the US servers. And, and that really, I mean, amazed me that they, they thought that they were immune from prosecution for what was going on in the COMEX, etc. So, you know, following, so really what I'm saying is following the House questions, uh, it resulted in a meeting with Andrew Bailey and that was also um, attended and witnessed by a member of parliament, Jeremy Lafoy. And I outlined in detail how, at this meeting, how the EFPs exposed these too big to fail taxpayer insured banks, exposed their Achilles heel. 
And in response to a direct question to me from Bailey, the single one focus I left him to investigate was the abuse of the EFB conduit. And, and I mean, seven months, that was seven months before it actually blew up. And the UK investigation process subsequently involved communications with the Department of Justice, the CFTC, the LBMA, and clearly this warning went unheeded until it was too late. However, although a lot of lip service and foot dragging was being employed, ironically, because as Andrew Bailey said, quote, <laughs> never forget it, but these are unregulated markets was his words. I mean, mind blowing uh, and said in front of the, uh, the member of parliament because it's reality. Uh, I mean, but anyway, when he said this, it, it became so clear that the BIS efforts to square up the bullion books of the two big to fail banks were suddenly doubled down on directly after the EFP conduit fractured on March 23rd, 2020. Now, it must be borne in mind that the BIS leases and swaps are laid on the books of the LBMA banks privileged to have gold accounts with the Bank of England, but they're done in unallocated gold credit. They're, they're unallocated gold credit transactions. They're not bullion and which for at least three years have not been conducted by the BIS in physical form. Why? We know this because we don't see any of these lease, this lease metal ever coming to market. So the March 2020 EFP blowup was exactly the kind of threat that the too big to fail banks that myself and Member of Parliament Jeremy Floyd had warned Andrew Bailey about before it blew up. Once more forcing the BIS to step in to bail out these banks this time by generating massive, if you remember, short-term unallocated supply to desperately balance the ETF books to avert an immediate too-big-to-fail bank collapse. This was an embarrassment. And everyone will recall, you remember this, the hundreds of tons of ETF inflows that we witnessed at a time when the physical markets were locked down and there was no office to sell bullion at any price and what little was available. I remember going talking about this in March and April 2020. We were being rationed as wholesalers for an, in 15 kilo tranches and they were commanding $500 per kilo wholesale premiums. Look, if you were lucky to even secure it and, and there was no argument if you wanted it. Look, there is no other explanation other than a BIS bailout as to how hundreds of tons of ETF gold and registered COMEX industries were rebuilt during a time when the industry apologists had dropped off the radar. I mean, you know, it's so clear. It, 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 it really is. It's more than empirical. This is clear evidence. And the reason that I am revisiting this subject again now is that the paper to physical disconnect that blew the paper to physical EFP conduit apart in March 2020 is once again evident, but it's for wholly different reasons. It's for, because competition from other central banks are tightening up physical supply into declining COMEX paper market open interest. Now, just to remind our subscribers what broke uh, the ETF conduit last March and what could threaten it again. And as was seen last time, a massive contango dislocation between spot gold and futures caused the major liquidity providers, that includes UBS et al. They were called upon to deliver physical they simply did not have.
forcing them to exit, exit these positions into a liquid disappearing rapidly widening $20 spot bid R spreads when normally you're talking 10 cents, a few, 3 cents, 2 cents, uh, literally 1 and 2 cents spreads. And now we, we saw suddenly 20 bid R spreads. And then on the Tuesday, uh, the EFPs blew up. The spread between spot and the COMEX expanded to $100 per ounce. Now, this lack of market depth forced liquidity providers to panic sell over-the-counter longs at market in order to cover directly related, deeply offside, rising short squeeze futures contracts. Now, this unprecedented failure to deliver, because there's no other word for it, this scenario threatened the integrity of, when you think about it, we're talking about $100 spreads between spot and futures in a 600 ton a day market. I mean, it, it is beyond calculatable. And, and so it was, this was not obviously not foreseen and with no physical to deliver, nor the ability to offset this exposure, it required an immediate officially sanctioned bailout to avert an immediate cash gold price reset. And such an overnight gold revaluation would at the time have exposed the entire daisy chain of taxpayer insured, too big to fail banks who are exposed to trillions of derivative exposure to fail. There's no doubt in my mind. And this fracture exposed billions of dollars of unreported gold folios forwards, which, which is one of the things we report that we warned Bailey about, which was that there's a 14 day rollover loophole that did not have to be reported to the OCC. Now the Bank of England had previously turned a blind eye, no matter how many times we protested, to this perpetual unreported ro rollover. And this meant it didn't have to be reported to the Office of the Comptroller, which is a serious issue. And so this EFP event triggered a scramble of meetings with the LBMA to plug this hole. This was almost certainly the event that scuppered the LBMA's attempt to accept, accept themselves from the EFP clearing process. And why, other than the six-month extension, I think it's almost certain uh, that it is now improbable that they will be exempt from Basel III compliance, despite this six-month extension. So, in fact, it was the fracture of the EFPs that resulted in locking in BIS proposed deadlines, and as reaffirmed and published by the BIS, BIS six months later, and it's dated September 2020, and it's still valid, uh, affirming the unallocated gold 85% haircut was going to be enforced in every jurisdiction except London, which would get a six month extension. And this would be in place by June 28th. And it's important because there's no going back now. And clearly you've had this blow up. And as we now look in the rear view mirror into these assessments following the EFP blow up, gold <laughs> as of today, notably following the BIS expiry on Friday, is $450 higher, silver, 16 bucks higher. So th this is no coincidence. And, and I think, again, we're talking about, there's been no pullbacks from April. No, uh, yes, you know, small pullbacks, but nothing of any significance. So something's changed. So right now, footprints tell us that we're evidencing a global move to square up unallocated gold positions. Uh, and so paper market liquidity is draining, which will in turn further tighten up physical supply. 
Now, given it was the shortage of physical gold that fractured the EFP conduit, and currently we're evidencing Swiss refineries sold out into August uh, for any size at all. I mean, if you want size, you're not going to get it. Any deeper backwardations from here could actually threaten another EFP blob, especially as we've already evidenced an exit of the second year banks who have exited the very profitable third tier custody business or, or third party custody business. So what's that's done is thin out legitimate hedging activities. Now these banks are still nursing losses and have definitely not returned into the COMEX as a hedging tool. One of the main reasons we're seeing real open interest decline. So this is a catch-22 predicament the house has got itself into, and it's the first time in 50 years of COMEX control of the price-setting mechanism that it's, become, that it's come under the attack. Now, given the unplanned paper market disconnect had prompted the scramble by officials to add back paper market liquidity, through this process we just described, they were forced to provide paper market liquidity to bail the banks out. It was that critical. So our focus is now on the unwind of these March 22 bailout measures. And we're seeing that. And there's pressure being put on the, on the BIS to speed this process up. And one thing that's been clear through the years is that obviously what we're talking about here is ultimately a fair and honest price for gold being circumvented by the ability of the machine to create limitless quantities of undeliverable synthetic gold and silver supply. And this has come at a price of the West now. The result is that the paper market mismatches have been capitalized on by physical markets and some big actors in the physical markets, competing actors, which has sucked out so much liquidity out of the paper markets, it's left them teetering on an ever dwindling supply of, of really undeliverable uh, gold. Now, the degree of leverage simply reached unprecedented, unsustainable levels. And it, it, all it took was the recent black swan event to break the machine. It is not repaired, guys. So what's not really filtered through to the US centric market yet is how this March 2020 EFP fracture has changed the way gold and silver will be priced forever. This is an industry change. And since then, with most traders blinkered to physical market drivers, we've experienced some follow three historically driven paper market dislocations. But as was evident since the end of April, every single dip is being jumped on on a T plus two delivery market. And we've talked about T plus two is simply when you buy spot, you lock yourself into a price, you can demand delivery in two days or the market fails as the EFP market did. And this is, so that's not gonna happen again. They cannot afford to allow that to happen again. So you, how dare they? They will not dare to put gold into deep backwardation again. And as we witnessed last week, this all happened into, and this is why we talked about, a historical bearish toxic cocktail of events, which is BIS expiry and bearish, um, net bearish crosses like dollar, uh, bond crosses were bearish through this process for the most part. Now, one thing I'm absolutely confident of is that the more we get the regulators on record, the more they become accountable. And while I don't really hold hopes of Jamie Demon going to jail, despite my CFTC evidence very likely placing him in the room where price fixing was agreed, and this is we're talking about NOAC uh, as a board level member fixing the price of of, of gold. Uh, it, at the PM fixes, 
I can't believe, I just find it very difficult to believe that that, that uh, at ball level, it would not be, uh, that Jamie D Demon would not be in that loop. But anyway, so move on from that. And um, we, but look, we're seeing, it's now become increasingly unprofitable for the market making insiders to operate. Now we've already seen evidence of this one by one, the bullion banks are withdrawing from this business and we've seen it. Why? Because there's just no money to be made in plain vanilla bullion banking. Unless you can rig the market, why would you play that game? And if you're under regulatory scrutiny, which came through um, after it was heard in the Houses of Parliament, uh, after the EFP uh, conduit blew up, and the desperate attempt to protect the integrity of the too big to fail banks, look, they cannot exempt themselves from Basel III. You must operate in the light. And without the smoke and mirrors cover of hundreds of tons, literally hundreds of tons of sanctioned gold credit being cleared every day, insiders cannot control the gold and silver game because you must have the bullion to deliver if you sell it. Novel idea. But there are, there are a multitude of unregulated non-delivery markets for the bad actors to migrate to and control. So I say, good riddance, off you go and play that game. Andrew, given so many years of gold market management, it's understandable that we get good questions as to why the BIS would actually allow gold to be regulated even higher. Are you still of that view? And yes, these questions are understandable, especially as the central banks, and in particular the BIS, uh, the central bank of all central banks, has done a very good job over the last 50 years of containing the price of gold against the dollar as part of their strategy of intervening in the currency crisis, of which gold represents about 15 trillion when factoring in related derivatives, you're probably representing a staggering 70 trillion uh, of transactions benchmarked at, L, at every LBMA London fix. However, something bigger is at stake here. And this is, I think, what a lot of people have missed. It is actually an attack on US dollar hegemony. And while the general, it is the general and understandable view is that officials headed by the BIS, gold desk in Basel hate gold and want to continue to suppress gold prices forever. In reality, Basel III changes this stance because defending the growing threat to US dollar hegemony is actually way more important. Wars are not fought in nuclear form. Wars are fought in the markets. And based upon what we're evidencing in the tightening physical market, in our last episode, we assessed it would not be long before global central banks, in particular China and Russia, reveal just how much physical gold backs up their respective currencies. And when they do this, the gold and silver price will explode higher. And they know this, and they're very carefully playing their hand. And as I say, wars get fought in the markets. And footprints in the gold market indicate massive coordinated pushbacks by both China and Russia against Biden's win-lose geopolitical ambitions. And we see a strategic move by China and Russia to allow a gold price revaluation as simply well-timed by these expert traders. And, and, and what it is, is the United States obviously relies on the dollar special status of exorbitant privilege to fund massive public and private borrowing. And we now know um, that, that the US is on the back foot. And, 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 and obviously this is massive public and private borrowing. They're on the back foot. And 
if they don't move themselves to front-run an upside-sanctioned US dollar gold price revaluation, we see the BIS actually attempting to coordinate this action, which is going against the grain from all of the history that we've experienced in the last 50 years since the COMEX was evolved or to, to actually suppress the gold price after Nixon took the gold off the dollar peg. Now, while we've been looking at the trigger point for China to disclose its 25,000 tons, I think that's a reasonable estimation. I'm not the only one that thinks it's 25,000 tons. But we believe in coordination. Russia is also now beginning to play their gold hands, more so. I mean, so in lockstep with China, lifting the cap on imports, Russia is already opening openly dumping dollars for gold. Now, that's pretty obvious. That's been reported everywhere. And they've sent a clear signal. They're also breaking rank from an agreement to keep the price of gold contained. And that's been part of a policy, uh, really, of a, a toing and froing po uh, policy. However, much like China, which salts PBOC holdings off the books amongst the state-held banks, our refinery contracts affirm that Russia has also been capitalizing on building larger than disclosed physical reserves. In other words, not reported. And so with the BIS in defensive mode, the attack on US dollar hegemony now moves center stage. To, to, it's so clear to us. One factor that adds weight to this view is, uh, is what our well-respected and very, I mean, extremely well-respected friend, billionaire Hugo Selena Price, drew attention to in a personal letter to me last month. And he's, ex look, Hugo's extremely well connected. So I take note that further to an RT interview he refers to where Putin on the 6th of April, um, basically Hugo figured that after this, this interview, um, that, that they're on the 20, Putin announced that on the 21st, he was going to announce quote, the beginning of a new era. And, and, and to quote from Putin, he, was going to, he said it's going to be the world's most important political event. Now, Hugo believed that China and Russia would, on that date, make their currencies convertible to gold. And I was waiting to use this in an April or May Live from the Vault episode. But now we know no official announcement was made. But in Hugo's latest web, web posting, he believes that Putin was threatening the BIS to restore gold backing for the Russian ruble, and, 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 to, to restore gold backing the Russian ruble and for the Chinese yuan. And that, as he puts it, this scared, he quote, the living daylights out of the BIS, which caved into the pressure from Russia and its ally, China. Now, I actually believe Hugo is correct. Footprints now suggest this has occurred and that Putin did not back down from this telegraphed announcement. He did, um, he did a central bank to central bank agreement. And, and, and he just simply said, we're doing this. You, you know, in other words, um, you better get on board. And he's, quite clearly, this indicates the US, unless they respond by allowing the gold price to revalue, they'll be left out and the dollar will collapse in value. I believe that is correct. Yes, Andrew. And finally, what are your thoughts on gold and the U.S. dollar? Yeah, talking about relationships between the market and the dollar, Shane, 
One of the primary algos utilized by insiders is the dollar to gold and bond to gold algos, which in turn um, have historically influenced the hot money flows in and out of gold and silver. Now that's been something that we've talked about directional algos, we've talked about the agnostic algos, and these two algos, these major algos really determine, is part of the currency management tools that the officials have. Now we've been reporting on the unusual bullish for gold offsets to these historical directional algos. And these offsets being the strong T plus two spot delivery market where competing central banks and well-connected funds lock in the paper price for future physical delivery. Now this effect also forces the liquidity providers to cover off potential delivery exposure and is the primary reason that since April, we have seen these algos far less effective at discounting gold and silver with undeliverable paper supply that may be called upon. Now, record sovereign debt levels are at bubble levels. There's nowhere to lay it off other than to debase the dollar. Now, anything that sends US dollar GDP lower will send US rates higher, clearly. And this won't sit well with risk assets with US debt to GDP currently at a staggering 130%. So the Fed is intentionally undercounting inflation really to try and delay an inevitable bond buyer strike, a scrambling to find, find a solution. Uh, inflation adjusted, real interest rates are headed into multi-decade lows. That forces the Fed to move from jawboning yield curve control which they've been doing, to currently now trial ballooning Operation Twist, which will ultimately, I mean, they want to try and control the shape of the curve, before ultimately they're going to have to pull the, the yield curve control lever. Look, what this is going to do to the gold price is not rocket science. This is a bullish cocktail for gold and silver and is a primary driver for all central banks to buy physical gold. This is what we're seeing our friends there you have it ladies and gentlemen another fascinating episode of live from the vault and bye 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 physical hey be sure you help us spread the word about this channel by liking sharing and subscribing click on the bell notification if you want to be notified when these episodes go live and one more thing in the comments section Go ahead and maybe tell us who you'd like to have interviewed most or ask your most important question. We'll get it over to Andy and make sure we get your questions answered. And with that, thank you so much for visiting us with us at Live from the Vault. And we'll see you again next time. Bye for now.